Stay tuned. Eastside Radio, 89.7 FM. Welcome to Breaking Waves. I'm John Mike. And I'm Riley. Last week we covered the topic of birth, and now we're getting into that next stage, life. We're going to be talking about the idea of rebirth and life cycles within the different seasons of our own lives. And uh, we're going to be getting into some philosophical questions around this topic as well, right, John? Yeah, two simple questions come to mind. Uh, One is, what are you? And the other one is, where are you? And they're simple questions, but they're not so easy to answer. Are they, Riley? No, but it's uh, it's not a destination at which you arrive. It's a um, it's an aspirational uh, search through the through the the inquiring, and uh, we're going to touch on some different um, theories, like different mythologies as well that that relate to this. So it should be fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, we're going to have a, a a talk about our own uh, experience in life so far, and we're going to have a look at some stories, cultural stories. Um. Kicking things off, we have Joe Walsh with Life's Been Good.
So that was Joe Walsh making some lovely analogue sounds from the 70s, um, a period of time before electronic synthesizers. In fact, uh, the first artist to use a synthesizer was Stevie Wonder, and that machine was built to him by a man called Ray Kurzweil, who wrote the speech recognition software for Microsoft, and now he's a author and... Um, predictor of the future he's written several books uh, famously predicting the technological event horizon which he claims we're going we're fast approaching and the the idea of ai uh taking over is also one of the the things he's talked about for some time but now we're going to uh personalize this discussion and talk about our own lives up until this point in time hey riley that's right dude um so john do you want to kick it off with your uh life story early memories from the from the top sure um my memories start actually way after my story starts, and we covered my um, place of birth last week. I was born in, in regional Queensland in, in a tin shed at 6.30 in the morning. But, of course, um, this is all anecdotal because I wasn't there. I was too... Well, I was there, but <laughs> of course I was there. I was too little to remember it. And my first memories were... A few, quite a few years later, when I um, started school, that's about the first memories I have. Living in a a town called uh, Yapoon, which is near the coast in Queensland, and uh, uh, it was a traumatic memory actually because I was an experimenter with the natural world from a very early age, and I've continued to. To pursue uh, experiments for the rest of my life, but I um, I can remember uh, discovering matches and the wonders of fire, and I'm sure many other people went through this um, phase of learning about the potentials of <laughs> of fire, um, and I was. Uh, setting fires to things around uh, our house. We lived in a rectory next to a church. My dad was an Anglican minister and I was lighting leaves and blowing them out and lighting bits of paper and blowing them out. And I went into the church hall and lit, set fire to a little piece of thread um, and tried to blow it out. But what I didn't know was that some things, when you're blowing them, they don't go out. <laughs> so... The fire got bigger and bigger, and uh, I ran out and tried to get a sprinkler, and I was um, in quite a panic, and uh, I can remember my dad coming out onto the balcony and asking me what I was doing as I was hauling the sprinkler, which was hurling water everywhere, trying to drag it through the door of the church hall. Um, He saved the day, uh, and that's one of my first memories. after that, I um, we moved to uh, 
Brisbane and Dad joined the army uh, around 1969 um, and went over to Vietnam to help out over there. And uh, so my dad uh, left the scene. I had no father for a while. And this is the second time um, this had happened. It happened earlier on when after uh, I was born, I think I was about 18 months old. And mum and dad went to America for quite quite some time. I think it was about a year or so. They did a lot of camping and traveling. And my sister and I were left with our grandparents. And I think I thought that my, uh, my grandparents were my parents. And <laughs> now I don't remember this, but apparently when they got back, I... Um, I didn't. I, I wouldn't talk to my mum and dad for quite a while when I got back, but I got over that eventually. Um, and I can remember my dad being away. Uh, he came back and we moved to New South Wales, which is a school change and um, slightly different education. I, I <laughs> actually I remember my first day at school too, and the Queensland uh, education system was uh, based on. Um, punishment and uh, coercion that's my memories of it um, so it wasn't much fun and I don't remember liking it very much I used to always try and escape and run home and when I was uh, 15 uh, I went to boarding school I went to a boys boarding school in Sydney so I moved to Sydney and I left um, my family and my sister had already um, gone to his previous. She'd gone to um, a, um, the sister school, uh, to the one I went to. I went to King's. She went to Tara. And uh, I was there two years, did fifth and sixth form. And spent most of that time escaping and going into the city in Sydney and going to uh, Checkers and um, the Civic Hotel and all the other venues around town and French's wine bar. I saw, remember seeing Midnight Oil in French's wine bar and uh, that was a great period of time. Was um, I started a band. I'd been uh, playing the guitar since I was about five and um, played in a lot of talent quests and stuff like that. Um, but this was around the time of uh, punk music. It was the late 70s and that was a very rebellious time. And that was a lot of fun. And we started the band in school. And after school, I uh, went to New South Wales University and studied science because I was there for a couple of years. But I was really more interested in the music because the band um, continued and we, we got a couple of new members and we started to play around Sydney. And that's what I really wanted to do. I played in a band for a few years and toured around. Um, during that period, uh, I didn't have a lot of life skills, so moved around a lot, lived in uh, lots of uh, strange places, in squats and um, shared houses, and uh, took a lot of drugs, experimented with a lot of drugs, psychedelic drugs, and um, those things actually started to take over, and the, the band broke up, and I kind of uh, floundered around for a while. When that happened, I didn't really know which way to go. Eventually, I was uh, <laughs> I was uh, dobbed in by a neighbour 
because we made a lot of noise, we were pretty rowdy, and I had a little pot plant growing in a in a uh, pot out the back, and he rang and told the police, and they came and arrested me, and I was charged with cultivating an illegal substance, and had to go to court, and um, through the courts I was sent to a rehab, and that was my first experience with the, the idea of recovery, um, and that was my first big uh, rebirth in a way, because um, it was an opportunity for me to learn about lots of things that I hadn't actually learned up until that point in time about living life on life's terms. And um, it was a difficult time. I uh, bounced in and out of a few places. But at the same time, I was still very interested in music and I got, got into mixing bands um, and became an instrument technician. And so through most of the 80s, I worked as a tech and a sound engineer and toured around the country quite successfully with, um, first of all, little indie bands and then uh, some lot, lot bigger bands, the Cruel Sea and uh, the Beast Suburban and um, the Angels, uh, Spy vs. Spy, started to do theatre. So I worked on Les Mis and was a radio mic operator for a couple of years. And so we're up to about the 90s now. And I kind of had a bit of a nervous breakdown in the, the mid-90s. Uh, and decided to bug out of Sydney and I went to a rehab in Byron Bay called The Buttery where I stayed for six months and that's a therapeutic community. Um, it was a great place. It was a wonderful location. I've been to Byron heaps of times and um, it's it's still my favourite place. Um, I, uh, I got out of there and I... Uh, started living in Byron and I started a degree in computer, uh, an IT degree, in computer science. And I did that from uh, 99. It actually took me about f six years to, to complete that degree uh, because uh, I had another, um, <laughs> I had another rebirth you could say I got quite sick I'd contracted hepatitis in the early 80s and I tried to manage that by um you know looking after myself but my liver got quite sick and I had a relationship breakup and I was put on antidepressants uh, ser uh, serotonin reuptake inhibitors the week I finished that was the it was Christmas 2003 and I had a stroke uh, on New Year's Eve after Christmas 2003 and I remember waking up in hospital in St Vincent's and I thought I was in a jungle. <laughs> it was uh, an incredible experience. I um, was surrounded by birds and angelic, uh, like angel-like figures flying around who told me that I was in a hospital and I tried to get up to go to the, uh, the river, the stream and pull all the leads out. I was plugged into a whole lot of machines and um, then I can remember hearing a voice saying, it's okay, you can't see, you've had a stroke, you're in hospital. 
So this was a, um, a pretty huge thing in my life. I, uh, from that point on, I um, had about 5% vision, uh, which I still have now. And it's, um, at that point in time, I couldn't walk. I couldn't really see anything. Um, and I was in rehab for a couple of months in the hospital at St Vincent's where I learned to, started to learn to use the little bit of vision I got and I learned, uh, started to learn how to um, recognise words again. Um, I had enough vision, if I had enough light and magnification I could uh, see words on a page but I couldn't read them. I had the same problem with other th objects. I didn't know what I was looking at. Um, so I have what's called a hemianopia. I only see out the left side of both my eyes um, and I have occipital lobe damage. My left occipital lobe is uh, basically dead so it's wiped out one side of my vision. My right occipital lobe still works but it's quite damaged so I have this left peripheral vision um, and the very strange thing is only one side of my brain uh, sees my right side and I've done a lot of reading on brain science and the, the two hemispheres inside us which are kind of like two people. You've got the logical side and uh, the emotional side and one side it deals with the past and the future and planning and language and the other one deals with the present and feelings and emotions and what's going on right now. So that's the part of me that sees. The logical part is blind. Gabrielle Yarrod's instrumentation from a film called Betty Blue. And now we're going to move over to Riley's life story. Yeah, so I was actually um, born in Paddington, as I think I said last week, just down the road. And uh, I spent the first two years of my life living in Tamarama. Uh, my earliest childhood memories of being a toddler and crawling along and looking out the window and then looking down at the 
red stairs. Uh, we had these red stairs in that house. And uh, then I moved to Bondi, where we lived across the road from uh, Bondi Beach on Campbell Parade. And I used to go to uh, the beach every day with my dad. And um, this was uh, a time in my childhood before I was really socialized. I grew up as an only child until the age of eight. And I lived in this dream world where I kept myself entertained, didn't seek out the company of um, other children, other people. Um, And this ties into this idea of rebirth because as... Um, a very young uh, child, preschool kind of age, I had a strong sense of having lived previous lives. And uh, it wasn't something that was like theorized or speculated. It was an awareness of having been here before. And the way that I would describe it is like um, the beginning of a new dream. And there'd been a countless amount of dreams that had come prior to it. And this also came with an awareness that I couldn't perceive uh, what the world would look like through my parents' eyes. And I was living within you know, my own life. And then at the age of eight, I become socialized. I move to Yowie Bay and uh, make friends with uh, the triplets next door. I become best friends with the, with the, the boys next door and... Uh, because they're older and they're offered, they're able to give me instruction about, um, what, you know, what am I doing? And um, an older buddy, just like I had. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And um, yeah, so then I, I end up having quite a positive, um, it's really idyllic childhood setting in terms of where I grew up. Yowie Bay, they used to call it apparently kids' paradise back in the 70s because um, it's this picturesque suburban neighborhood on the water where um, kids can just walk around to um, other people's houses and just... Hmm? Where is Yarry Bay? Uh, it's in Miranda. It's in the Sutherland Shire. Oh, okay. yeah. Sutherland, yep. Yeah. And uh, we used to ride billy carts around the streets and, you know... Yeah, all, me too. All that kind of stuff. So I had that very... Yeah, we both had that outdoorsy childhood um, because I had really good social skills and I could talk to adults just like I could talk to any kid, I was really well liked even though I didn't do well in any kind of academic sense and I didn't play any sports or didn't succeed in any kind of meaningful way on paper because of my uh, personality and just because uh, of how you know expressive I was, I was able to have really good friends there and, um, and be... Um, supported by the by the teachers as well so um primary school i was like uh very much like a a peak time in terms of um a sense of like belonging and acceptance in spite of um not fitting in in any kind of conventional sense not being an academic superstar yeah yeah and then uh i go from that very close-knit primary school into this high school that's just this um hellscape this absolute uh, sprawling jungle of um, microcultures, and I didn't really fit into any of them. So I I went from having yeah this very tight primary school experience to having no sense of real friends in, in high school. And my best friends from primary school went to different schools. And um, then at the age of fourteen, um, I started grappling with serious um, illness that uh, changes my um 
relationship to myself and my um, environment, and I stopped going to school. I stopped taking part in um, in daily uh, activities, and uh, then I ended up going to a bunch of. I spent time not at school for a while, uh, and then I went to a bunch of different schools before finally ending up at um, Waniora Road uh, in Hurstville. Um, which is where I meet some new friends and uh, have a totally different... Um, my priorities change at that point. Instead of being uh, looking to uh, ascend in like social uh, hierarchies and sort of uh, career ambitions and all those kind of things, and then I'm spending time with people who with very poor social skills and you know undesirable... Uh, behaviors and that and with a with more kind of insight with more sympathy with more compassion than i would have had in the past um and um then from there i end up uh finishing up my high school there graduating school and then coming back to work oh and i i in when i was 16 i started getting involved with community radio so i started running my own show through that school at uh, the Nawi baptist church and that brings me to a new stage a new cycle which has been a rebirth from that what i can take away from my own life as well as that change is inevitable is that the changes that happen are not things that you can necessarily expect or anticipate and very often they can be extremely different from any ideas or precedents that you've had before that point. So expect the unexpected and be prepared to roll with the changes. Okay, we'll cut to the last song. This is from a movie called Rumblefish. And it's by the drummer from The Police. His name's Stuart Copeland and it's called Don't Box Me In. <laughs> 